Hello and welcome to Men in Charge. I'm Kevin Decker. And I'm Tony Flynn. We're starting today with Rocket to the Future, Part 1, Chapter 12. Let's go ahead. Failed Narration Productions presents Rocket to the Future, Part 1, Chapter 12, Space War. Boys and girls, once again we soar off to the space age future, the year 1992, to join the brave crews of the Earth Space Force rockets, the Vanguard and the Nose Guard. <laughs> that reverb effect was really cool. I hope I get to do some of that. Oh, quiet you. But I think you made a mistake. Nonsense. What mistake? You said space war instead of space war. Well, that's what the script says. Big print. Can't miss it. But the title's in 124-point font to emphasize the magnitude of the space crisis near Mars. There just wasn't enough space on the page to include the big R at the end. But they included the explanation mark. Exclamation mark. Boy, did you ever pass high school? That's offensive, but I'm going to overlook it and let you finish the introductory narration and try not to screw it up. Yowza! Give me that script! When we last left you boys and girls, the forces of both Earth and Mars were arrayed against each other in the solar system. A mighty fleet of N-class rockets had set out from Earth under the command of Admiral Major, Captain Major's dad, and the shadowy Dr. Shattig, inventor of the futuristic name tag. And we found out from the Martian Wetner Sammy Kalua and his pal Lulu Slivovitz that the resistance to what Martians believe to be Earth oppression. But those whiny, sticky, blobby alien snowflakes... Okay, that's torn it. You can't just read things into the script. Here, give it back. No! You see, that's torn it. Now we each have half the script. Give me back the other half now. No! This arrangement is perfectly fair and equal. Why don't you continue and I'll pick up on the right half of each line? Uh, it's a stupid idea, but I'm hungover and in no shape to physically fight you right now. You haven't been getting enough sleep. I told Shut you... Shut up. The Nose Guard's cadet acting Captain Trapanier has fallen in with... Lieutenant Schickelgruber and Eugene 2000. The Vanguard's astrogator... And the android have discovered and commandeered a huge, heavily armed... Alien ship that once belonged to an ancient race of encyclopedia salesmen. And don't forget, boys and girls, there's still a Nose Guard landing craft... Circling near Mars out there with ex-Lieutenant Slash ex-Ensign Nemesis and Lieutenant J.G. Lionel Lindley on board. Both are wanted for treason. Let's first check in with the vanguards Cadet Cindy and the love struck the Lieutenant J.G. Averill Chesterfield III, who are on the edge of Lindbergh City. The bustling Martian metropolis slash for-profit internment camp run by the biggest company on Earth. The United Federated International Earth Corporation. You'll remember them from the previous announcer's metal breakdown last episode, listener. This job is hard work. Ow! I just hit my knee on the announcer's mini-fridge. 
Problem solved. Well, let's get back to work on the padlock on that fridge. The sooner we get done with this narration, the sooner we can let it be low and low. Welcome back, listener, to Space Wah, Episode 12 of Rocket to the Future, Part 1. Cadet Cindy and Lieutenant J.G. Averill Chesterfield III are at the edge of Lindbergh City, or as it's going to be called, as we announcers who've already read ahead know, Ground Zero. If anyone on the Guard can read me, this is Lieutenant Chesterfield III at the security wall around Lindbergh City on Mars. Cadet Cindy from the Vanguard, a G-class star where G stands for gorgeous, has been complaining to me about the poor posting of posters on the chain-link fence here. There are so many layers. What are they hiding behind this fence? Maybe it's posters all the way down. You know, Earth Space Force officers being manly men, cadet women being alluring, and frequently posting posters. Oh, and look, a dejected-looking Martian with Rick Stellar. The personification of the Space Force, behind him saying, Mobs, we've got your back. Are you completely oblivious? Rick Speller has an Earth Dagger in his hand behind the Martian's back. Oh, it's okay. Martians don't get that kind of humor. Look, Cadet Cindy, we can either use the time here on Mars looking for those missing doomsday weapons, or you and I can get to know each other better in a quiet yet dusty corner of Lindbergh City. Look, Lieutenant, uh, I don't find you unduly repellent. Unlike Ensign Zinn, you don't seem to have hair or skin that's darker than normal human hair and skin. If you want to get a bottle of Jupiter juice at the nearest space cafe... Yes, please. Okay, but I can only do that once we've found out what's going on behind these posters. I'll help you climb over the fence. I'll give you a leg up, and then... I am not having you look up my female cadet Space Force miniskirt, Lieutenant. I'll give you a leg up. Okay, I can see over now. Oh, wow. This is a refugee camp for Martians. How do you know? Mainly the spell, but also the concealing posters. It makes sense now. Somebody wanted to hide the fact that all these Martians have been forced out of their homes. I wonder what they did wrong. Wait, are those Craft Space Force Beta Darts? If they are, they're preparing for a bombing run. All those innocent refugees! My uniform tunic's caught on the fence! Space curses. Oh, 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 no! Lieutenant! Cindy! Cadet? Commander Train? Oh, Commander Train? She's my commanding officer in the jammiest of jams, Lieutenant. Our Jupiter Juice date is off. Attacking Force, this is Commander Iris Train of the Rocket Vanguard. Lindbergh City is a non military target and full of civilians. Call off your attack. Hey, is that... Can't be. Iris Train? Yeah. Who wants to know? Looks like we're spectators to the beginning of a space war, boys and girls. Well, next up are the two characters who seem least germane to the big plot thread. Hey, ow! Hey, what? That's... Ow! My face! Get your hands away from that! Yes. 
It's Lieutenant J.G. Lindley and his arch nemesis. That's Nemesis. No, it's not. Now, shut up or I'll cut your mic. Can you cut the mics from down there under the board, fellow announcer? I have no idea what you're asking. But I'm almost into this mini-fridge. I can already taste the delectable wine coolers that undoubtedly redound in there. Lindley and his nemesis is in the landing craft. Go! I tell you, Lindley, I am not happy with you for putting that exquisite hood ornament off this spacecraft. She's a woman, not a hood ornament. She has a mind of her own. A soul, a, a purse, and she has a name. She does, does she? What is her name, Sir Galahad? June, June Warfield, um, starts with A, uh, April, April Tennyson, Alfred Lord Tennyson, Bowers, Rachel Bowers. Tisk tisk, Lindley. Shoddy memory. Anyway, I was going to steal this ship, quickly woo, acting Captain Cadet Trepanier, then propose, then marry her. It'll be a destination wedding. Oh, and somewhere in the list of to-dos, I was going to put you off the landing craft. You were going to stab me in the back, Nettie? Again? What is it with you? Yes, I was probably going to space you. That was the plan. But damn me, I'm a sentimental old fool. What is sentimental about killing your academy roommate and, for what it's worth, your closest friend? I was trying to spare you from a hundred years of imprisonment in the new Bastille that you'll now have to do because you let me out of this space brig. And you're not my best friend, Lindley. I didn't say best. I just said closest. Close enough, for example, <laughs> to make silencing you seem like a random space bubble asphyxiation event. Where did you learn that? Professor Hoffmeister's Space Criminology 212. Make, Make it, it look like look an accident. Like an accident! Well, golly, boys and girls. I went in search of a crowbar. The story advances a few pages. And suddenly, you, the listener's favorite characters, are stabbing each other in the back and trying to strangle each other. Nice kitty show, writers. Are subliminal messages being inserted in between the segments on your favorite public radio comedy shows? You'll find the answer strangely reassuring thanks to, you guessed it, Men in Charge. I hate to tell you this, but it's really not a kitty show, not anymore. Why do you say that? Well, as a fan, I've amassed, for example, a large range of Rocket to the Future Part 1 Premium Edition Collector's Character Statues. See here. Hey, Lieutenant Nemesis, Captain Major, those are nice. Do you have the whole set? Sadly, no, but I do have a couple rarities. Uh, Farley Stubbs in his trash can and two out of the three Rocket Men from Planet B. Mere children cannot afford them, and don't you dare call them dolls. No, seriously, respect. But we've got to get back to the story. Hand me that script. No, I'll get it. Whoa. 
I didn't mean. I am so sorry. Boys and girls, I don't want you to see what's about to happen. You all know in your hearts I didn't mean it. So let's go quickly to Admiral Major of the Earth Space Force and his command N-Class rocket. Nordinger. It's pronounced Nordlinger, announcer. For God's sake, Admiral Major, she's being strangled by the other announcers. Show a little humanity. Cadet Beacons, status report. Definitely a weapon launch of some kind, Admiral. I still can't identify the rocket, if it is a rocket, in my Jane's book. It might be alien. You should have them fish for debris around us and check it out. Ms. Goggins, may I call you Wilda? We all know that you're the richest person in the solar system, being CEO of United Federated International Earth Corporation, but you're not rich enough to tell me what to do. Now, Cadet, pull aboard some of the detritus from what hit us. Have it analyzed. Admiral, I see you're still anxious about our orders to bombard Lindbergh City. Ah, Dr. Shattuck, welcome to this morally compromised bridge. Let me give you something for the anxiety, Admiral. He needs a little horse sedative when he gets like this, I found. Ah, that's it. I've gone from psychotic agitation to mere frenzy. Excellent, Admiral. Now, you have your orders, correct? Yes, that's right. Cadet Umbilico, scan our route to make sure that my idiot son Fletcher doesn't put the rocket Vanguard right in our way. But Captain Casey now commands that rocket, Admiral. An idea that you gave him before his last shot, Doctor. Uh... Cadet Beacons, target that refugee camp with our scatter-shatter meson bombs and, with maximum prejudice, terminate it. Admiral, I can only push the launch button so hard, sir. Never mind, I'll do it. Well, that certainly got the blood up, didn't it, boys and girls? Mom was right. That sleeper hold is a winner. The other announcer went out like a light. Oh, yeah. The the red light means the microphone was hot. Well, boys and girls, like I said, the other announcer went out out of the studio to get a light. Uh, A light for a cigarette. No, no, not her cigarette. Gosh darn it. Don't smoke, kids. You didn't hear it here. And this would be a great time to transport ourselves to a sleek, phantom-colored vessel, one discovered by the chasm creatures on Deimos, and used to escape that moon by Eugene 2000 Lieutenant Schickelgruber and Cadet Acting Captain Trepanier. Oh, and me, Farley. Farley Stubbs. Whoa, old man? Where did you come from? I recognize you from my database. You are Farley Stubbs, who once sold galactic encyclopedias, but then became Professor Shadowy under the influence of a strange radioactive name tag. That's me, old fade into the wallpaper of the nuclear reactor, Farley Stubbs. Lieutenant When you and Cadet Cindy ran me over between the bulkheads of the Vanguard, my body became jammed in the roller unit of your hospital, Gurney. But if you were in the workings of the Gurney, you were so quiet. I agree. Very quiet. Super surprising. I must report 
that all this human verbal diarrhea is making my capacitors deform. Pliny, don't you agree? Absolutely, Eugene 2000. Gosh, it's just so electrifying to have another artificial brain to talk with. After so many decades entombed on that moon. So this is the machine intellect you reported, Lieutenant? Pliny is the artificial brain of this ship. Will you new folks be my friends too? Pliny is also lonely and desperate. Spent an indeterminate number of eons buried on Deimos, cut off from all communication with her builders, an ancient race. An ancient race of galactic encyclopedia salesmen you mentioned. I still don't believe it. Well then you'd better look at this. It's the fancy nameplate for this ship. It's the UXS Galactic Encyclopedia, apparently. And there's nothing a Galactic Encyclopedia salesperson, past, present, or present, would love more than to avoid creatively naming the flagship of their sales fleet. I know this from personal experience. Well, I hate to break up your inefficient crow-magnet jib-jabbering, but Lieutenant Schicklegruber, it's about that time. Coming up on a fleet of Earth rockets. Time? Time for what? For revenge. What the hell was that? I thought I detected a helmeted human inside a glass space pod, traveling swiftly and glancing off our bow. I don't mean to interrupt. This isn't very important. That's to say, I'm not very important. But that's a fleet of N-class rockets out there. Top of the line. Go, human war industry. Pliny, power up the torpedo bays with the explosive encyclopedia payloads. Hey, now I think that a human officer ought to be giving the orders around here particularly one that's made 110% more dashing thanks to the chasm creatures and their biosurgical and flutonic operations on me. Schickelgruber, Fritzi, you know it makes you less hot when you talk about science, right? Those explosive encyclopedias are deadly, especially if you shoot with the third revision of Galactic Encyclopedia Volume P through RH, a particularly impactful volume particularly as it itself contains an entry for the term particularly impactful. I am at my limit with your dithering, organisms. Pliny, target at launch all tubes. No, G2000. Pliny, wait! Stakes are being raised in this space war, boys and girls. There's so much more we could tell you about the middle of this conflict, but we're trying to get this chapter done before happy hour in the gentlemen's club downstairs. The explosions, the space battles between laser cannon and gigantic metric wrenches. You'd actually probably like to hear that, but instead, here's something completely different going on. On Mars. Wait, Sammy Kalua. That's me, Sammy Kalua. 
Martian wet nurse at your service. I'm gonna go on a limb and say it's more me and your service. You want me to do what now? Climb into the pod, which is loaded in the base of the gravity cannon. That's what I thought you said, but I couldn't believe it. And you're gonna use the gravity cannon to... Shoot you into space. Oh, that was the next bit. Yeah, shoot me into space. Shoot me into space? To do what exactly? Well, once you get into orbit of Mars, you wait until you're within telepathy range of the Earth rocket fleet. Then contact the human cadets on board that we've seeded with Martian DNA in your kids' junk food. And cap guns. Damn it, I know. Everyone loves the smell of a good cap gun discharge. And if you concentrate hard enough and ask permission, you will be able to ask them all to stand down at their posts. Brotherhood of all true Martians and all that stuff. Any other advice? Oh, yeah. Wear the helmet. No, I mean serious strategic advice. Try not to swallow your tongue on liftoff. Okay, that's not really what I had in mind. Take a deep breath. And hold that breath. You're going to need all that oxygen right until you return to Mars. Wait, what? There's no air? No oxygen? Don't worry, listeners. He'll figure it out. Yo, everybody, did you forget about me? Announcer B here. It's, well, it's not because I'm less important. We just flipped a coin at the interview when they offered me and Announcer A both part-time jobs at failed narration productions. But that's how the dice fall sometimes, partner. Howdy, gamblers. You gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when... Stop it! Ow! 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 I walk away for half a scene to grab a chalupa and I return to find this. This is why you are, and will always be, announcer B. Okay! So now, boys and girls, as we approach the end of our chapter, we at the same time discover the beginning of the chain of events in what you've been listening to so far. The chain of events that dramatically ended with Commander Train's one-woman stand in defense of the Martian refugee camp. Classic Commander Train. I hope they make a collector's edition statue of her in that scene, on top of the collapse fence and a pile of Martians. You know, after what I accidentally did to most of the rest of your Rocket to the Future Part 1 resin statues, (laughs) I hope they do too. Here's hoping. And here's Captain Major and Billy, now prisoners aboard their own ship, the Rocket Vanguard. I don't know about you, Captain, but I'm fuming. I know we're not supposed to criticize the Earth Space Force High Command, but with their little donkey brains, they give your command to Captain Casey? Why, he isn't even as tall as he was before he melted. Where did all that lost mass go? Could it still be around? Stingily slurping down the Vanguard corridors? <coughs> Billy, could you get me more space gin, Billy? Sir, can you hear me? 
Captain Casey put us in the brig so that we wouldn't try to stir the crew into mutiny against him. I know why he doesn't like you. After all, once a man's drunk another man in liquid state, the second man can never look at his drinker the same way again. I wonder why he doesn't like me. Maybe the mop I used to soak him up from the deck was too scratchy. Just the space gin, Billy. The stuff about the mops and the brig can wait. Maybe... Maybe go find a real member of the crew. I am a real member of the crew. In your own way. Go find Ensign Zinn. He's somewhere on Mars, probably with Commander Train. Well, Billy, as a real member of the crew, you can go get my space gin from my quarters yourself. You're a big boy. Don't be scared. You see that large red button high on the wall behind you, labeled Break Doors Release Button? Press that. Uh, uh, I can't reach it. It's too high. Star Dingoes. What's that sound? Well, Captain, I just had a serious deja vu experience. Our dialogue for the last five or six lines was almost exactly what transpired between Lieutenant Unisis and I right here in this same place but 12 months ago. I guess the universe likes that sort of thing. It's purring. Actually, Captain Major, if you'll open your eyes, you'll see that the experimental pseudoscientific phenomenon transformer installed by Engineer Kaczynski, has turned the mind-warping energy of the deja vu into something useful. Here, kitty, kitty. That's a nice kitty. Where are you, kitty? Captain, there's no cat in the brig here, but there is a big wormhole. Maybe it leads to some space gem. Anywhere's better than stuck in the brig of your own rocket. Okay, Billy. Can you help me up? Sure, Captain. Oh, oh, Captain, your space breaches. <coughs> I'm just sweating really heavily, Cadet Billy. Oh, that's super. I thought you had gone winkle on yourself. No, I sweat intensely below the belt when I've been deprived of space gin for too long. Or when I'm having a heart attack. Oh, Captain, you're a jokester. I hope you know you're pretty much going to have to carry me, cadet. I know. Well, girls and boys, thanks for listening to Rocket to the Future, Part 1, Space War. Well, what happened to the Captain and Billy? We don't know. Like the listeners, we have to wait until next week. So that wasn't the end? I mean, the end end. Let me see that script again. Lord, where's the exit? Where's the studio exit? Hey, come back here, you graceless jackass. Do you think I'm going to come back there while you have the crowbar? You think I'm
Okay, Kevin, you wrote this script, and it took you not as long as it always takes me to write, but it's time for me to thank our cast. Kevin Decker, Tony Flynn, Rowan Flynn, Jody Stewart-Strobelt, Ryan Weldon, Davis Hill, Rennie Yarrow, Nancy Roth, and Ann Porter. And we'd also like to thank The Bad Plus for our theme music, Seven Minute Mind. And thanks to the shadow parliament that always supports us, Nancy Roth, Savannah Esty, Vern Windham, Carrie Boyce, and Nisha Schramm. And the man whose county fair blue ribbons are all for ham hock juggling, Brian Lindsay. 